Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Keep up with the news these days, tracking down the spread of COVID-19 and also monitoring the continuous struggles of dialoguing and discerning how we are to face racism, and many other social conflicts in this country and also the world at large. The challenges of not knowing for ourselves, but also the stress point comes in not knowing how we can educate and prepare our children for the future and what they will have to go through when they do eventually grow up. I don't know about you, but for me, I find myself searching, praying, bearing for direction, and steadiness more than ever. Something that is more dependable, something that is unchanging, something more dependable where I can place my trust and faith in. You know, as we have read today's passage in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, here, understand that we are at the near, we're near the end of Isaiah's prophecy entering a segment of the foretelling of where the prophet has looked 140 years into the future. And Isaiah sees that their nation Judah in captivity in Babylon. At this time, the nation has been destroyed. The city of Jerusalem, also known as the city of God's peace, Shalom, it also lies in its own ruins. The temple of the Lord has been looted and torched, completely destroyed. And the people now who have survived have been carried off as slaves into a foreign nation, more powerful nation as in Babylon. There they hang their harps on the branches of the trees because there has been no singing. There's no reason found anymore for them to praise God anymore. Instead, they're found weeping. They're found in despair of ever seeing home again. In this particular time of trouble and suffering, filled with grim and hopelessness, God gives the prophet a message, a message of hope and promise. And as we read in verses 1 and 2 in the same chapter of 40, Isaiah 40, God shouts, comfort Oh, comfort my people, says our God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Then there follows a marvelous and unbelievable prophecy that there would be a visitation of God, that he will come and he will deliver his own people. Let me read for you the extent of the promise that Isaiah shares to his audience or the readers, found in verses three to five. A voice is calling, Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh, meaning all mankind, will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a wonderful promise in time of need, isn't it? Sounds great, does it not? Problem solved. The word of God comes guaranteeing, promising them that God will deliver them from their misery and their pain. 
But the problem is that Isaiah is mindful and cognizant of the fact that people's trust, and it reminds the audience, because God has spoken the word, because God's word is reliable, that they're able to cling to the promises that have been given to them. And now the verse that follows is one of the great passages defending the authority of God's word because God's word stands. His prophecy that the people would be restored to their land was sure to be fulfilled. And the verse cleanly breaks into two natural parts here, making strong contrast, conveying the notion that some things in the world are temporary, like grass and flowers, but some things are permanent. Some things are destined to be forever, like God's word. So I would like for us to pay attention to verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. And it reads, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Everything we see in this earth is temporal and transient. We live in a uh, dissolving a dissolving culture. Uh, if I can just be frank with you, the nations that were once powerful through the course of history, they are no longer. And even the nations that are powerful now, there is no guarantee that they will remain and continue to be powerful going into the future. Kings and rulers, the conquerors throughout the time of history are also in their tombs. Economies where people place their great trust in, they look to, they depend on, uh, the economies that once dominated also have gone bust. In verse 7, Isaiah reminds his readers that like the grass, like the flowers, nations and their leaders fulfill their purpose, and then eventually they all fade away. Psalm 103, 15 through 18 conveys the same notion in different passage in the Bible. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed away, it is no more. When his place acknowledges it no longer, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to them. Isn't it so true? Church, do you not agree with me that things that are found in the world are transient? Everything, virtually everything that we place, our everything that is found in this world has an expiration date, has a shelf life. Even the things that we seem indestructible, permanent now, will eventually, as time passes, will be no more. You know, there's a book in the Bible that speaks of such futility and vanity, talking about the transiency and the frailty and vanity of all the things we seem to value in this life. It is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's quite, it's quite sad as it is so ironic because the author of this wonderful book was no other than King Solomon, a man found to be the most wise perhaps the smartest in all of human history. And this man possessed incredible wealth as well. God favored him so much, and arguably more so than his father David. And this man had lived his entire life 
just indulging in fruitfulness, just uh, revving and in, in, in just, uh, uh, just God's blessedness. But for anyone who's ever read the book of Ecclesiastes will also recognize that it has an almost a haunting theme. And the theme is, and the mood of this entire book is completely melancholy, completely cynical even. After taking a hard look at his own life, he discerns, or life in general, he discerns that, that much of life, if not all of it, is meaningless. In fact, this is how King Solomon opens up his book, the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. I mean, this is just the beginning of his writing. Guess what, folks? It does not get much better. Uh, almost like 90%, if 90, 95% of this book, entire book, is filled with the language that conveys a notion of what? Meaninglessness, temporality of life here on earth. And he says that he has carefully assessed life. He has looked from everything, and he, he searched for meaning, and he conveys that he has found no meaning. He tells us that wisdom, even the pursuit of pleasure, the toil and hard work, riches and material worth, is all meaningless because the, they are all transitory. They will wither like the grass and, the, and fade like the flowers in the field. They may be spectacular, they may be beautiful for this moment, but once again, he conveys a notion that nothing in life will last forever. And Solomon reaches a crescendo of his, uh, this firm criticism of life and this fatalism in chapters 8 and 9 when he says that all men, whether you are righteous or unrighteous, whether you're good or wicked, whether you're spiritually clean or spiritually unclean, Solomon proclaims that whether they, are, they offer sacrifices to God or they're faithful to God in worship or not, he comes to a conclusion that all face a common destiny, which is death. So Solomon carefully examines every area of life and his end conclusion is this. It's not in cynicism, but in faith, actually. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. This is what he writes. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In the end, King Solomon he reminds us that God and his word as found in his commandments alone holds the key and he must be trusted. His conclusion is that it's not worth placing our trust in anything else than God's word. Nothing else is trustworthy than God's ordinances and precepts. And he encourages everyone to place our trust in that.
Let me read for us verse 8 again. The grass withers, the flower fades. Now let's get to the, uh, the, 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 uh, the heart of his proclamation here. But the word of our God stands forever. Read that with me. But the word of our God stands forever. Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' most beloved disciples, one of the most polarizing, yet one of the most powerful characters in all of the New Testament. Apostle Peter writes a letter to all the Christians that were living, all the Christians living in the first century. At the time of where he was living before being uh, crucified upside down in a matter where um, our, our Lord Jesus was crucified in, in an even more gruesome way. In a time where all Christians faced a lot of suffering, hate, persecution, physical torment, life was just really, really difficult if you're a Christian in the first century. And a lot of scholars agree that the main motif in the, in the letter that Apostle Peter wrote, it, it, it sends a notion of perseverance. It talks and speaks of the reality of the harsh condition for every believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And it's basically Peter's encouraging them to stand firm, whether through the tough times, persevere. And his letter primarily is a message of hope in times of great turmoil and trouble. And it reminds that all believers in the community of faith to be faithful in crazy times. When things become unpredictable, when things are constantly changing, there's pressure coming from all directions and leading us to question the things that they've held to be true with their lives. And this is what he says. Chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that, have, that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Check this out, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And check, check this out. He actually quotes... Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Apostle Peter, in a most pressing time for the believers and the followers of Christ, he reminds them to cling to the unchanging word of God. And it reminds them, though this world seems out of order, though this world seems like it's on a, 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 on a swivel, just unstable, unpredictable, he encourages the Christians at that time to cling to the unchanging word of God. The context which he speaks to his audience is not much different than what we are facing today, isn't it? There's a close connection between God and his word, and that means that the qualities of the attributes of God and to God's word are also described God's own personal character, God's unchanging character, God's word, which is unchanging. 
incorruptible. And the Bible encourages us to place our trust in the word. God's word is founded, fixed, and established forever in heaven before the foundation of this world. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 116. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. The Bible over and over testifies of unchanging nature of God's word. Both spoken and written word of God. It is unchanging. And the Bible charges us, charges every believer of God to cling to something that will never, ever change. There's something called the International Prototype Kilogram. It's called the IPK or Le Grand K. It was made in 1889. It is preserved in the city just right outside of Paris in France. It is a bar of metal, particularly it's a metal combined with platinum and iridium alloy, which is known to be the most corrosive resistant metal in the world. And it is protected and preserved under two glass globes and it represents the official kilogram. It is the base standard for the metric system. Meaning since 1889, every measurement of weight has been referenced to this just a unchanging something. This has been the, the reference point in all of units of measurement. And the problem is the kilogram is losing weight. This gold standard of something to be uh, unchanging, to be, uh, to be the very foundation of all things, arguably all things that are built around, is premised in the fact that this will never change. But the problem is that this gold standard of unit of weight is losing about 50 micrograms at last check. And this is supposed to be the standard the world depends on to define what mass is. And many scientists now agree that it's time to redefine that. And the culprit is there's specks of dust are, are messing with this, um, this unit of measurement. You see, I think in a world where even the seemingly perfect object thing that we place so much trust in, seeming the very thing that we build the entire world upon, we find now that that is also changing. In such time as this, God proclaims to us that his eternal word is absolutely fixed. It is absolutely unchanging and it is absolutely trustworthy. And we find incredible hope reading through the New Testament found in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It conveys a notion that the word was fixed in heaven 
long before that Jesus Christ was even born. Now let me read for you John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Gospel of John conveys the truth of that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Word of God and it's been gifted to us by God. Think about this for a moment, folks. What is the role of Jesus Christ? What is the purpose of Jesus for us? As the unfailing, the unalterable, faithful word to us, his job, his whole purpose in his life here on earth was to convey the eternal hope He became the embodiment of absolute faith and trust that should be placed in him as God has sent to him. He embodies the unchanging nature. He embodies the fulfillment of prophets foretold hundreds if not thousands of years ago. And he conveys, he comes to us, encouraging us, affirming us that we are to place our trust in him. And he becomes a solid rock of foundation which we build our lives upon. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In the same way the Old Testament testifies of the unchanging nature of God's word. Jesus himself says the same thing. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and even tomorrow into the unknown that he will never, ever change. And for that, it encourages us to place our trust and faith in him. Amen, church? Isn't this a great promise? Isn't it wonderful? That in a time where we look around and everything else is shifting so fast and so much, that Jesus Christ comes to us and he proves to us that he has remained unchanged and he encourages us to place our trust in him. He is strong. He does not waver. He does not sway in times of great change and turmoil. He is forever constant, and he is from everlasting to everlasting. And because of his unchanging character, you and I can have this hope as he is the anchor for the soul. As Hebrews chapter 6 conveys to us, firm and secure. This is good news, isn't it? No, this is great news. And folks, I want to encourage you today to place your trust and confidence in God and to fall in love with God's written word for us, for you and I to discover the revelation and the beauty of God in the beauty of God's holy scriptures. 
when this pandemic hit us all the way back in March. My family, uh, particularly my wife and I, were struggling to find our bearing. As kids spent all of their day, uh, in fact, all of the days and weeks uh, at home, uh, we wanted to make sure we were searching and praying for how we can bring strength, how we can ready them for the unknown future. And we really wanted to do something very practical as it was something affirming of their lives. So um, what should we do? How can we uh, make sure that they are prepared for um, something difficult of what we're going through now? And perhaps in the future, what if greater troubles come? How should they navigate through the turmoils and the challenges of this world? So what we did was we began to read the Bible together as family. We read simply one chapter a day, starting all the way back in April. And that has been a, just a wonderful opportunity because in that, some, you know, I'm going to be honest with you guys. It doesn't necessarily portray or convey the direct solutions of what we're going through now. But through reading of the scriptures, we're understanding the character and nature of our God. And naturally, the conversations arise. We, we find that we found ourselves that we're able to actually strengthen their faith. We're able to communicate God and the, and the truth of God. And it has been so, so encouraging. It has been so uh, um, um, uh, beautiful just to see how God's word is coming to life uh, directly and practically in, uh, uh, impacting all of our lives. And as I bring this message to close today, I want to remind you, better yet, I want to encourage you to build your life on something that will last. In case that you have been living life, in case that you have been pursuing the things of the world, just in case that you have been searching for things to place your trust in, and I pray that today may be the day that where you shift your focus off of the things of the world, because the Bible tells us over and over again, these are just temporal. All the things that, you, that are found in the world are just simply transient. And I pray that you may trust, you may place your trust in something that is unshakable and unchanging. I imagine that you would desire this. I imagine that you will share the same prayer as myself in that you don't want to build your life on sand. You know, for me, I don't want to spend the rest of my life or my whole life chasing bubbles that shimmer with beauty and just glistens with, you know, in the intriguing curiosity. But the moment we touch it, the moment we, 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 we grasp it, it just pops and just disappears. You know, I think we, it's important for us, for us to understand that we need to build our lives on something more durable, something stronger, something more de dependable. In a season where things are shifting so fast, may you and I place our trust in God's word, his truth, his ordinances, as they remind us to live life with eternity in our hearts being reminded that life is really short. We are just sojourners here on earth, but our home is in heaven. We are reminded through reading God's word that God has a plan for us. And it is our 
responsibility. It is our life's calling to find beauty in being loved by him and, and find joy in loving him back as we seek and discover what is on his heart and not just on ours. And also reading through God's scriptures, we are reminded that God is in absolute control. Though we may not know, though we may be unsure, God absolutely and always knows, and God is always, always sure. So friends, may we place our trust in him. Amen? I read for you just one more verse as we close. Psalm, 18, uh, Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Rooftop Church, today we sing. Today we boldly proclaim that God alone is my sal our salvation. God alone is our stronghold. God alone is our refuge. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we thank you. God, it is our prayer that we place our trust and faith in you. When so many things in this world are moving very fast, God, we cling to the one who is constant. We cling to the one that is strong. We cling to the one that is able, that is always loving. And God, impart your comforting presence to every one of my dear friends here joining in in this service, Lord. Thank you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.